0: Years ago, I made one of my rare posts on Facebook, and it said this uh, We must be willing to lose everything in order to find what God has shaped us for. That certainly has been true for me as a believer, but also as a builder and a pastor. Well, according to Jesus, that is the key to life. He said we must die to live, we lose our life to find it. We hate our life to keep it. The road to abundant life is through the cross. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You must give up your own life to have Christ expressing his life through you. So, if we say we are Christians, if we say we are disciples of Jesus, then our lives must look something like Jesus going to the cross. Uh, We suffer with him. We are crucified with him. And most of that will not be an external suffering, but inward, daily dying to our own self and our own will and our own comfort. And it is painful at times. It does feel like losing your own life. Of course, we will conquer. We will reign with Jesus. But for now, our way is the way of the cross. It's an attitude of heart that says nothing is too costly in order for me to do the will of God in this moment. I believe the way of the cross is the missing ingredient in much of our spirituality. When people say, I have tried the Christian life and it didn't work for me. This is almost always the problem. Jesus said he must fall to the ground or fall into the earth and die. And this is the path he ordains for his disciples too. By nature, we do everything to save ourselves, to protect ourselves. Jesus said it can't be that way if you want to follow him. This is an unbreakable spiritual law. There is only one door to life and it's to lose yours. There is only one door to life and that door says come and die. Uh, Even our baptism proclaims this. Uh, We are buried with him into death in order that we may be raised to a new life. So, Why would we talk about this on what is known as the triumphal entry? Why would we be talking about this morning? Why would we talk about this on Palm Sunday? Well, because that is what Jesus talked about on that day that he rode into Jerusalem. Jesus went to Jerusalem primarily to die on a cross, to offer himself as a perfect, sinless sacrifice for our sins, Hebrews nine twenty eight, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. First Peter two twenty four, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. In other words, we were released from our sins. Through his suffering and death. That is the core of the gospel. That's the heartbeat of the gospel. By his wounds, we are healed. This is of first importance. But on the way to the cross, Jesus preached a message to his disciples and to us. Uh, He said, A grain of wheat has to die in order to bear fruit. And whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. I'm going to the cross. If you want to be my disciple, this will have to be your pattern of life too, the way of the cross. So in about 30 AD, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey the Sunday before He was crucified on that Friday. It it is called the triumphal entry. Uh, He was received as a king, which he was, and which he is, and which he always will be. Uh, On that Sunday, Jesus fulfilled prophecy from Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation. So Jesus was openly declaring on this Sunday to the people that he was the Messiah. He was their long awaited king. And so they celebrate Jesus. They rejoice. They wave palm branches. Uh, it says they spread their clothes on the road for him to, to ride on. And they cry out, Hosanna! Uh, blessed is the king who comes. In the name of the Lord. They fulfill prophecy, all of that, but they didn't really understand what was going on. And amazingly, the scripture says the disciples didn't either until after Jesus was glorified. They didn't understand the way God works or his timetable. They expected a king. Who would crush their enemies. Who would crush their political enemies. And someday Jesus will crush all his enemies. He will. But now was the hour for their king to be crucified. So was this celebration all wrong? Was this celebration a mistake? Well, No, not at all. They were supposed to worship him as king. It was appointed by God, a fulfilled prophecy. And as I said, Jesus is king and he is coming with salvation. But they didn't understand how their king would save them. They primarily thought they just needed someone to get Rome off their backs. They were looking for a military leader, a political savior. They were looking for a display of glory Uh, For a display of raw power. Luke 9.51 I think is quite revealing of the attitude uh, in the heart of the disciples at this point. It says, uh, when the day drew near for Jesus to be received up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And on the way, when some people didn't respond well to Jesus, James and John said, Lord... Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? They they were ready for Jesus to dish out disaster. And that was the general hope of the people in Jesus as king. But Jesus was coming, of course, to bring a much greater, a much deeper salvation. Uh, he said, Your problem isn't Rome. Your enemies are your sin and death and Satan, your Problem is that the entire creation, all people, all of life, all nature, life on this planet is under a curse. Uh, Misery isn't just because of Rome. Misery saturates the world. It's all around you. It's inside you. God has imposed it on his creation because of sin. For those of you that have been with us, this is what we've seen in Ecclesiastes, isn't it? Life is utterly futile. We're here today, gone tomorrow, and nobody will remember us. Pleasure, wealth, achievement, and power are, in the end, empty and meaningless. Uh, Life is a burden. It's hard, and death is the end for every single one of us. Adam's sin, the Bible says, put all of us in a terrible predicament. Through, through Adam, sin entered into the world, and it's affected your life and mine. It's affected every human being who's ever lived, and humanity is under a curse. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians, we are objects, or we were, speaking to believers, we were objects of wrath. So for things to get better, uh, there had to be a way to remove God's anger Toward our sin, there had to be a way to remove the monstrous and terrible consequences of sin. There had to be a way to deal with our death and dying, our sorrow, our gloom, our depression, our disease. All that's wrong with, with life. And most of all, there had to be a way to reconcile us to God. So... When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem to solve all that is wrong with us. In one week, in one event, on the cross. He came to redeem all of creation. We sang about that that very phrase this morning. He redeems all creation. Amazing. He came... To fix everything since the fall, to forgive our sins, to wash us clean, to set us free from our bondage to sin. He came as a complete answer to sin, sorrow, misery, death, and judgment. He was the king, and for sure, he was coming with salvation for us. But again, he was going to save in a different way than anybody imagined. He would deliver... Them, who would deliver us, who would deliver all mankind by dying for them. Their king would be glorified not by going to a glorious earthly throne, but by going to a humiliating cross, a place of torture, death, and shame. Verse 23 Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Certainly, included all of his, both his crucifixion. Burial, resurrection, and ascension. But the main point of that, or the main thing that I believe Jesus was referring to, was the cross. The hour has come. The hour, What hour was it? It was the hour for him to be crucified. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Just before this event, in Matthew 20, verse 18, Jesus told his disciples... Behold and how could he say it any clearer than this? I mean just listen to what he told the disciples. Behold, we you and me, me and you, you guys, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. That was the plan. Jesus shared it with them. He, of course, understood it and openly spoke about it. So why didn't they understand it? Because it's so counterintuitive to worldly thinking. So counterintuitive to the world and to the natural way of seeing things. Men are looking for God to work by force. And God chose to work by the cross. It's a paradox. Uh, Carl Truman said, God reveals himself under his opposite. Or to express this another way, God achieves his intended purposes by doing the exact opposite of that which human beings might expect. The supreme example of this is the cross itself. God triumphs over sin and evil by allowing sin and evil to triumph apparently over him. God's real strength is demonstrated through apparent weakness. People assume that the way of the world and the way of God is the same. If strength is demonstrated through raw power on earth, then God's strength must be demonstrated In the same way, or so we think. And to such thinking, Paul said, the cross is simply foolishness. A piece of nonsense. So, what does this mean for us? Well, it means several things. But as disciples, it has one primary, powerful message. John Piper said it means first of all that a mistaken view of Jesus' journey into Jerusalem can lead to a mistaken view of discipleship. Think about that just a minute. If Jesus was coming to burn up and destroy and uh, dominate uh, the world at that point, then we might think that our place is to uh, go on some sort of power trip and just kind of enforce our will on everybody around us the big surprise about jesus the messiah is that he came to live a life of sacrificial dying service before he came a second time to reign in glory and the big surprise about discipleship is that it demands a life of sacrificial dying service before we can reign with christ in glory Jesus accomplished our salvation by going to the cross which was an instrument of death and shame but he was also in doing that not only per- procuring our salvation as, as we talked about he was setting the pattern for us as his followers to live. He was saying this is what I'm going to do and this is how you are to go live your life you're to follow the way of the Christ of the cross carl truman said this is an explosive truth elders for example are not to be those renowned for throwing their weight around for badgering others or for using their position or wealth or credentials to enforce their own opinions no the truly christian elder is the one who devotes his whole life to the painful inconvenient and humiliating service of others in so doing he demonstrates the kind of life that Jesus demonstrated supremely on the cross of Calvary well that's the way that's one application that's the way it applies to elders but it applies to every single one of us painful inconvenient Humiliating service to others. I realize some of us might choke on those words, but isn't that what we're called to? Of course, that's not all that serving Jesus is, but it is an essential ingredient. Jesus showed us how to do that. He refused to back away from the path of suffering. He was willing to drink the cup that the Father gave him to drink. Verse 27, What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this very purpose that I have come. I think you hear in those words that Jesus doesn't want to suffer. He doesn't like suffering any more than you or I would in that situation. But he accepts it. He knows this is the way to glory. Verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus' great work, his great work of salvation, the, the, the work for which he came into the world was accomplished by his wounds, by... His death. Verse 24 Truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, or it remains by itself, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Uh, Jesus was teaching a an unbreakable spiritual principle here. And he was using a seed to teach this truth. A seed that doesn't go into the earth and dies will just lay there on top of the ground, and it produces nothing. It produces no fruit. It feeds no one. It does nothing for anybody. Only by dying it becomes fruitful. And, of course, Jesus was saying, I am that grain of wheat, and if I do not die, there will be no salvation for anyone but out of my death will come much fruit. Out of my death will come a great harvest of men and women. Of souls from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. But he also states this as a, an unbreakable spiritual principle. We also are that grain of wheat that must die. J.C. Ryle said, It is as true of Christians as it is of Christ. There can be no life without death. And that's what Jesus goes on to to say very clearly. Verse 25, whoever loses his life, excuse me, whoever loves his life will lose it. And he does say in another place, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But here in, in 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 uh, John twelve verse twenty five, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So he comes to us with a warning and a promise. First, the warning: the warning is, whoever loves his life will lose it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He. Who loves his life, or whoever loves his life, will lose it. Loving your life is to protect yourself, your reputation, your own desires. To do your to do things your own way. It is making everything about you, your feelings, plans, your pleasures, instead of Christ's interests interest first and foremost. Uh, we can easily spot this quality of loving ourselves. We can easily spot this in others, and it's harder to see in ourselves. Most of our problems come from loving our own life. I see it all the time. Uh, Loving your own life causes you to be turned inward, Uh, causes you to be unhappy, causes you to be frustrated, disappointed, depressed, and most of all, it causes you to miss out on the life The life, life with a capital L, the abundant life that Jesus has for you. This is not talking about some abstract willingness to suffer for Jesus at some time way off in the future. At every moment when we seek first, to save and love our own life, we are actually losing it. And then the promise whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You know, Jesus never minces words, does he? He's so bold, he is so unafraid to make the hard statement. If he knows that's what we need to hear. He doesn't say hard things just to be hard. I mean Jesus loves us. He's full of compassion. But he is willing to say the hard thing to you and me because he loves us. Whoever hates his life will keep it. It is shocking. Jesus meant it that way. He meant it to awaken us to how important this is. Hating yourself. Hating your life in this world is not... It's not some sick behavior of putting yourself down all the time by saying, you know, I hate myself, I hate myself. It's not complaining about your life. It's not saying, I hate my job, I hate my job, I hate my marriage, I hate my car, et cetera, et cetera. It is not only doing what you hate to do. It's not only doing what you dislike doing. No, but it is seeing yourself yourself as a very potential enemy to the life that Jesus wants you to have. Hating your life means to choose against your own self-centered way of thinking and doing things whenever it is required at any moment. It is bearing whatever cost there is to be faithful to Christ and His church And to his kingdom. It's choosing against yourself in order to do the will of God all the time. It's a daily practice. That's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, that's a good thing. But just know that this is what it involves. It involves taking up your cross and denying yourself daily. I totally realize that self love and loving yourself is the philosophy of the day it is uh, currently viewed in in even in many Christian circles as the cure for everything that 's wrong with you. so when jesus says uh, if you uh, or you must you must hate yourself in order to keep your life it uh, it's 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 a very shocking thing to state in our culture, and so usually, even in the church, we often hurry up to soften what he said, or explain it away, or ignore it altogether. Just w- we would never teach on something like this because it's it's too offensive to our our ears. Francis Schaeffer, uh, probably something like fifty years ago, but said this, but it's extremely applicable to today. Francis Schaeffer said, we are surrounded by a world that says no to nothing. So when we encounter Jesus saying, or when we encounter Jesus teaching us to say no to self, no to things, it seems hard to us. And if it does not seem hard to us, then we are not really letting it speak to us. It was teaching like this that caused many of Jesus' disciples to walk away. But then Francis Schaeffer ended with this statement, which I think is so true, and I pray that we have ears to hear. If we want to know anything of the reality of Christ, if we want to know anything of the power of Christ living in us, we must take up our cross daily. So, this morning, if in the most uh, real uh, way, perhaps even emotional way, uh, I could plead with you one thing about this message or in this message. It would just be to seriously think about these things. Uh, Please, I urge you, think about these things that Jesus said. Dying uh, leads to fruit. Dying leads to a fruitful life. Doing things your own way leads to you just being by yourself. Losing your life is finding your life. Loving your life is losing it. Hating your life is. Keeping it. There is a way of giving up yourself to Jesus that looks like hating yourself if that is what is required. And that leads to a life so profound that it is like finding real life. It's like finally finding what life with a capital L looks like and feels like. It's like finally finding or entering into abundant life. Life, this, not just biological life, I'm not talking about, obviously I'm talking about life that is abundant, life that comes from God, life that wells up in you like an everlasting stream of water. That kind of life is found in sacrificing your life for Christ and for others. Profound sacrifice leads to profound and fruitful life. And once you've seen it, that is how you will want to live. And so Jesus, even though these words are hard words, he is teaching us the way to life. He's saying this is the pathway to real life and fruitfulness. So if you want to be uh, the man or woman of God that, or young person, that God wants you to be, if, if you want to be free, truly free, if you want to, to really have joy, I mean a deep overflowing joy from deep within you, if you want to be fr- free from bondage to addiction or a demon or depression or just plain self-focused living, if you want to be healed and made whole, There's something about your own life that you have to stop loving. If you want to bless others, you have to see your life as something to be given up for Jesus, for Jesus' sake. All right, Jesus isn't done, he keeps pressing the issue. Verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where was Jesus going? He was going to the cross. The disciples may have thought, well, I'm glad I don't have to do that. And Jesus said, oh, but you do. Perhaps in a little different way, but you do. If you are going to be my disciple, you must follow me. You must take up your cross too. And then Jesus adds, for for where I am, there my servant will also be, or my servant must be with me where I am. A servant must follow his master. So for us, that means we follow Jesus when it's inconvenient or humiliating or painful. It means that we follow Jesus even when it leads us into danger and reproach and unpopularity and rejection or if if Jesus is hated then we take that place too whatever it is that following Jesus means we go with him we go with him all the way But then Jesus ends with an amazing statement. He says, this is the path to unspeakable honor. And I, this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, verse 26. My father will honor the one who serves me. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. God, who spoke the universe into existence, the maker of heaven and earth, God, whose opinion is all that matters, will honor you if you serve Jesus, his son, in this way that we've been talking about this morning, giving up your own life for him. Sometime in your life, you probably got some kind of ribbon or trophy. Uh, I never got many of those. I think the only trophy I ever got was a fourth grade spelling competition. Uh, But at this point, does anybody care? I mean, do you even care? But the honor that comes from the Father is eternal and unending and carries a lot of weight. Those ribbons and trophies mean nothing. But the honor that comes from the Father means a lot. I think I've shared this before, but uh, every year at about this time, there's usually a a few seniors that we know or have some part in their life that graduate. And... uh, I always write, I don't think I've ever missed any, any graduating senior, uh, I always write this message on the graduation card from this verse. I, said, I always say, remember, Jesus said, if anyone serves me, my father will honor him or her. And I do that because I want those graduates to know what really matters in life. I mean, most graduation cards are about, you know, wishing you, Uh, tremendous success or, you know, you're, you're super and soon the world will all know it and all that kind of stuff. Well, I want them to know what, you know, what real success means. Real success is in having the Father honor you. And that comes, again, through serving Jesus. You may be nothing in the eyes of other people all your life. They may not even notice you, but when the Father honors you, that is all that matters. So, we need to keep two inseparable truths in our heart this morning. The first is that Jesus suffered and died for your sins. He went down the Via Dolorosa, the road of suffering. He went down the way of crucifixion for you. Uh, We are the fruit of that death. Uh, If you are here today, if you are saved today, you are in that state of grace, in that state of favor because of what Jesus did, because of the price that he paid for you. And so all honor and glory go to him. The second truth is that Jesus invites you as a saved person, as a person who is the fruit of his death, he invites you to come and lay down your life with him. And the question is, do you want uh, that life? Do you want to bear fruit for him? Do you you want to be used by God? And I think if you're a child of God, you do. And how do you do that? Jesus said, uh, take the way of the cross. Come, follow me. Now, uh, it's interesting to me. Jesus doesn't, uh, doesn't beat people up with this message. He offers this life as an invitation. He simply states it as a matter of fact. If you love your life, you will lose it. If you give it up to me, you'll keep it to eternal life. If you serve me, then you must follow me. So what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do with those unbreakable statements of spiritual truth? I pray that the Holy Spirit would stir in your heart a cry that says, yes, I want to leave everything and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you uh, for your word. Thank you uh, for the power of your word to deal with our conscience and our heart.